Good morning. <clears throat> okay. So before I jump into it, I didn't uh, get all the way prepared this week, and so I don't have an insert. But I would encourage you to take notes if you want to use the, uh, that, the handout for the, with the music, or if you need one, maybe someone can hand that out. You may want to take notes this morning, okay? And uh, I'll try and guide you with the note-taking as best I can, and uh, let's get going. So the last several months, we've been going through the book of John, right? And, um, and it's been going pretty fast. And what I found is I, I really, I was really struggling with it. I've struggled, I grew up in the church, and, uh, and I've been hearing from John my whole life, and I've always had the same struggle. I've always had the same struggle. Maybe you've had the same struggle I have. Um, but, but when we w- I would start reading this, or when I would hear it, it just sounded like it was written in code. It was like, here we are talking about the Word. The Word is the light. The light becomes, let's see here, we got the light, and, and the light becomes the Lamb of God, and then it's the light of the world, and Jesus is the bread, he's the light, he's the door, he's the vine, he's the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And, um, and I, I struggled to connect with it. On one level, maybe on a superficial level, I can connect with metaphors and analogies to things, and, uh, but I really couldn't connect with, until I started studying the book of John, really what was going on and what this code thing was all about. Because if we don't understand the symb- symbolic language that John is using that ties us into the long history, the ancient history of God's people in Israel, and in addition, we need... You know, if we don't understand the purpose and the function of these things called signs, we can only go so far in our understanding of what in the world John is trying to communicate. And so today, I wanted to take a break from the series that we were going through in the signs and come back to the beginning and walk through what this symbolic language is about what these signs are all about, and hopefully bring a whole um, new understanding, depth, and in, in grasping the story, that the good news that John is trying to share with us regarding Jesus. Signs, signs, everywhere the signs. Blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind. Do this, don't do that. Can't you read the sign? Anyone remember that chorus? That's an oldie. It was on the radio. I think it was a hit back in 1970, the uh, five-man electric band. This guy, he's walking, the song's about this guy, he's walking, walking around and he's looking at these different signs and he's seeing how these different signs are separating him from what he wants to do or separating him from people. All these signs in his life are separating him from living the life that he wants and enjoying things. And I hope today, as we go through the book of John, that we start to see signs, signs everywhere, the signs. And here in the message, I'm the Messiah, blowing your mind. Believe me, I got that. 
Can't you read the signs? Symbolic language. <clears throat> Symbolic language and signs. It falls under the category this, uh, of study called uh, semiotics or semiology. It's the study of signs. Uh, that's a new word I learned as I was going through this. And when we talk about signs, there's all sorts of ways that we use that word and senses to the word. And I want to go through those because I think it will help us get to what John is doing with these signs and symbolic language. It could be a motion or gesture by which a thought is expressed or a command or a wish is made known. Okay? So let's say the policeman on the street is holding up his hand in traffic. Right? That's a sign. Stop. Or motioning with his arm for cars to move through. That's a sign. A sign could be a mark having a conventional meaning. It's used in place of words or to represent a complex notion. For example, the mathematical, the, the letter pi is a mathematical, also used as a mathematical sign for complex information. Okay, it's not just the number 3.14159, whatever. It is the relationship, the complex relationship that, that a circle has with respect to its diameter and the circumference around the diameter. It's a complex sign. Um, let's see, what other ones? Characters, like in math or in music, we have signs, key signature signs. Um, rests and flats and sharps are signs. Uh, a display, tra very traditional, a display used to identify or uh, an advertisement or like a place of business. And then there's the posted commands or warnings or directions. That might include written words and or shapes or colors, like our stop sign is red and it's, the way it's shaped tells us to stop even though the words aren't there. And then finally here, something material or external that we see, that see or hear that represents something else. Something material or external that represents something else. So something intangible, like sign of success. What are the signs of success? Sign of the times. Flowers are often given as a sign of affection. Okay, something material or external that represents something else. The flowers represent the affection I have for my wife. It could represent uh, something in the future. Okay, the presence of robins is a sign of spring. Right? Okay, and then something spiritual. We have signs like water baptism is a sign. People come up here and they're baptized. It's a sign of new birth, spiritual life, and, and renewal, identifying uh, with Jesus in his death and resurrection. We have the Lord's Supper that we have out here. The, the elements are a sign to us. This is not working too well for me. Well, this isn't a sign itself. So. Okay. I'm just kidding. Okay. So we come back to John and this whole thing with signs. <clears throat> and uh, we, 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 if we were to read through, pull up the first chapter here if you have it. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. 
This is symbolic language. And, uh, and the, the reader, the Jewish readers, the people from that culture would immediately, immediately you connect yourself to the past. The word of the Lord came to Abram. The word of the Lord came to Moses. The word of the Lord came to the multiple prophets. Let's see, Samuel, Nathan, Solomon. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. All throughout their history, the word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came. And that person in that moment represented was a sign or symbol of God in his message in just that moment, right? Throughout history. And all of a sudden, John's saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Okay? Life was in him. Hebrews 1 tells us, long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. The word of the Lord came to the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Here we have John saying he's connecting this in the past. The word of the Lord came, and then all of a sudden, here's the word. He's connecting these two, God of the universe and the messages and the messengers that I sent are now one and the same. That's the sign, that's the symbol here. The word of the Lord. The other one's word is the light. Word is the light. How many times did light come up in the history of the, the Israel people? Pillar of fire the lampstand in the tabernacle or the temple, a lamp unto my feet. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. All these images of light keep coming come to mind. And John came to testify to that light. Later we have this Lamb of God, beginning with Abram and Isaac. With this, God wanted that sacrifice, Right? And, uh, and then God provided the sacrifice. And then Moses came, and, and we have the, the sacrificial system where all of these lambs are being slaughtered, slaughtered, slaughtered for the sacrifice, for the, remission, for, the, for the covering of the sins of the people. We have the light of the world. I am the bread. We have Passover where the bread shows up. We have the manna in the... In the, in, the, in the wilderness. We have the showbread in the tabernacle. What is that communicating to us and how is it that Jesus is now all of a sudden being equated to these, to these historical um, events and objects? Light, the door, the vine. We don't have time to go into all of these. I want to move on. What is going on here? Okay. I'm going to skip ahead. John, chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to pause just a moment here. If you want to take notes, this is where the notes are going to be helpful to come in. 
I am going to um, talk um, about the purpose of why John wrote this, and that is going to kind of be the, um, the framework for which we continue this morning. In John chapter 20, verse 31, we finally hear about why John is writing what it is that he is writing. In uh, John chapter 20, verse 31, but these things, these signs, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. These signs are written so that you would believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. I'm going to be talking and going through primarily the signs. That's going to be the one category. You can write signs here. I'm going to talk about a whole bunch of the signs that we've... And then at the end, we're going to talk about belief and how that leads to life. So with that in mind, that is what we're going to be aiming for today the signs. I'm back now in John chapter 1. We have in the beginning is the Word, and life was in him. Why? He's the source of all life. He created all the biological life that we see around here, but biological life didn't come from biological life. It came from a different source. It came from our Creator, who is spirit. It came from the spiritual source of life and that life was the light of men there was a man named john who was sent from god he came to testify and be a witness to the light so that all might believe through him he was not the light but he came to testify about the light the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and the world was created through him yet the world did not recognize him he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. For the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, took up residence among us, lived among us. We observed his glory the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me has surpassed me, because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. For although the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who was at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Okay. Let's pause. That's a mouthful. We have, in the beginning was the Word, and that's where life comes from. We have this testifier, this witness, John, who comes to talk about the Word and what we, he was about. And we find out that grace and truth come from the one and only Son. And that we have received grace after grace from his fullness. 
For although the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. As we go through these signs, the people, the listeners, the disciples, they were all looking for the Messiah, yeah? They were promised this, that this Messiah was coming. They're looking for him. They're looking for the kingdom. When John goes through this, this is what's in, in his mind. He's, he, even, he mentions it right here. For although the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's this, there's this connection between Moses and Jesus. And they get that from um, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. This is Moses speaking. A prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see the great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see his great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. I read it twice because it's, it's important to know this is, this is where... He, the, the listeners are coming from. This is their expectation. Someone like Moses, someone like Moses, someone like Moses. These signs that we're going to see, they're pointing to Jesus as someone like Moses. Someone like Moses. What are some of the ways that Jesus and Moses were alike? Well, they were both a deliverer. They were both providers. The bread and the water that Moses provided and God provided through Moses, right? But they identify Moses as the source. Um, They're a judge. They're a prophet. They're a lawgiver. They're known for humility. They're known for their miracles. Okay? So as we go through these signs, pay attention to one the contrast between Moses and Jesus and connecting the past to that moment where Jesus is. And the next is to have a taste of the kingdom to come. As Jesus comes through and these signs are performed, we're catching a glimpse of the kingdom that's not fully realized yet. It's here because the king is here, but it's a momentary taste or glimpse of the kingdom of God. And a good Jewish person who was from birth, they go to the festivals, they're here from the Torah, they're singing the Psalms, 
They're, they're hearing the law and the prophets, right? Again and again and again, they're catching these glimpses of this Messiah and what the kingdom is like. They may be brief glimpses. They may even be in the songs. They may not even be recognizable. But because they've repeated these songs so much, so much, when they have this experience with Jesus and what he's doing and what, who he is in that moment, there's this deja vu moment where they come back. Wait, wait a minute. I have this picture when I sing this song of what God is like. And all of a sudden, it's appeared right before me. Okay? So let's go. Sign number one. Sign number one was the wine in John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And so on the third day, we've gone through these. I'm not going to read them. Uh, We have this wedding. At this wedding, the wine ran out. And uh, Jesus' mother intervenes and says, Jesus, why don't you do something about it? And uh, he decides that he'll do something about it. The ser- it's just with the servants there. He tells the servants um, to fill these jugs here. Right? These stone water jars have been set there for Jewish purification. Each, each contained 20 or 30 gallons. And so they have him fill those gallons up with water. And then he changes it to wine. Let's think for a moment about what's going on with this, the other side of the story with this, this couple that's got married. You're, you're a young couple, and you throw this party. You have these servants helping out, all your friends. The whole community is probably involved, and all of a sudden the wine runs out. If this story were to play out, what do you think would happen? There's no way that they're going to stop the party just to go get more wine. What's going to happen at, the next, at their first anniversary? What are they going to think about? Are they going to think about the wonderful time they had at their wedding with all their friends and relatives? Or is the wife going to be secretly bitter that her husband didn't order enough wine for the guests? What's going to happen 20, 30 years down the road? They got kids and grandkids. What's the story going to be about how mom and dad got met and got married and stuff? What's going to happen at the community events when everyone's coming together and say, how about you take care of this food, you take care of this food. Oh, don't give Mr. Goldstein the wine, he's going to botch it, right? What's he known for? What's his reputation going to be moving forward? But Jesus intervenes. He comes into the situation and he kind of saves the day. People have wine, but it's more than that. It's more than that. Did you, did you read what it said here? Six stone jars containing 20 to 30 gallons each. I need to tell a family story here. Um, anyone, anyone here know the card game Bunko? Anyone heard of that? I've only played it once in my life, but my brother-in-law, Sarah's brother, lives on the north side of Milwaukee in Shorewood, and uh, his wife, who also happens to be named Sarah, uh, had a bunco night at their house. Ladies coming over, and it was bunco night with the ladies. And, John, and, and Sean wasn't home yet, 
And he, uh, he, was, he was still at work, but uh, staying at work and late. And so it was bunko night. They liked to break out a bottle of wine. So they brought out the wine, but it, there was, I don't, I don't really know the particulars, how many were there, but they ran out of wine. Okay, sound familiar? <laughs> they ran out of this wine, and they're like, oh, Sarah, could we get some more wine? So they, they go down to the, to the basement to where the wine is stored, and they pull out this other wine, and, and they, they drink it and think, man, this, this is pretty good. It's pretty good. Sean comes home, and they all turn to Sean. Sean, this, is, this wine is great. Where, what, where'd you get it? And he said, well, let me see the bottle. He looks at it. Oh, my goodness, that was over a $100 bottle of wine. A $100 bottle of wine he had lying around. I don't know where he got it, but he was saving it for some occasion. He was kind of bummed out. But it was this $100 bottle of wine. And it tasted so much better than the stuff they pulled out for their bunko wine, right? It tasted so much better. This is what Jesus does. He takes the party to a whole new level by serving this fantastic wine. And I did the calculations on this. If you have six stone jars averaging 25 gallons each, there's five bottles of wine per gallon that's a $75,000 wet bar that Jesus sets up at this, at this wedding. $75,000 at $100 a bottle? You guys aren't impressed. I can tell. You're not impressed? I'm impressed. If someone gave me a $75,000 gift and... Now my reputation is saved. Not only is it saved, but I'm living off of Jesus' reputation for creating this, this scenario where all this wine is. And it's so amazing, and it's going to be remembered for generations practically. I mean, look, it's, <laughs> it's in the book, right? Think back here for a moment. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. He deserved to go down with a bad reputation, a failed wedding party. But what does he get instead? He's elevated up. He receives an amazing gift from someone he doesn't really even know, probably. Grace upon grace, unmerited favor upon unmerited favor because of Jesus. Excuse me. I'm stuck. A taste of the kingdom to come here. Oh, I told you that these, uh, these signs here were going to point to Moses. Compare Moses and Jesus and that they're going to have a taste of the kingdom to come in that moment. <clears throat> Contrast with Moses. Moses turned water into something. What he turned water into? What did he turn water into? What? Blood. Right. He turned water into blood. As in, in a, in, and it was in judgment against the Egyptians. Jesus turns water into wine as a blessing 
to give life to a party, to give life even to the marriage where it, it was going to be a real struggle, that, that part of their life. It would have been a sore spot. He brought life. Unearned favor. A taste of the kingdom to come. In Isaiah, in Isaiah, it talks about the kingdom to come. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We've waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in this salvation. Sign number two. The official son in John 4. The official son, and just before, um, just before this, um, well, I'm starting at verse six, forty-six. Excuse me, four, chapter four, verse forty-six. Then he went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. And Jesus told him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, Come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, Your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So in Moses' time, contrasting Moses and Jesus, Moses has, uh, excuse me, God has Moses and then his Aaron go in and perform these signs. In Exodus 7, God says, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourself by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent." Back at our passage here, we have the, maybe not the official, I don't know about his heart, but it says above, though, that uh, when, where was I here? Oh, even before that, well, hold on here. I missed my place, I'm sorry. 
uh, verse 48, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Unless you prove, I am, you want me to prove yourself to you is what he's saying, right? Prove yourself. Jesus is called to prove himself on several occasions, even after he's given signs. Moses, though, Moses brings judgment, his signs. Jesus, though, with his signs, he brings life. He bring, brought life to the son of this official. Taste of the kingdom. Jesus says the word, and the son is healed and lives. The taste of the kingdom is the king and the authority that he has. Sign number three of healing the sick. Healing the sick. This was done on the, on the Sabbath, right? So when we contrast Moses and Jesus in this moment, he's healed on the Sabbath, we see that the, that the law of the Sabbath was given to us by Moses or through Moses. And we see in contrast that Jesus brings the Lord of the Sabbath to bear on the situation. We see the hindrance of legalism with the Pharisees and those present getting all bent out of shape with him healing on the Sabbath. The hindrance of legalism and we see the healing of loving kindness. And the taste of the kingdom is the wholeness that is experienced. Sign number four, feeding the 5,000. They almost walk us through that one. Feeding of the 5,000. Moses, they tell us later in that uh, uh, subsequent verses that Moses was the one who gave the bread of heaven. Moses gave us manna. Moses, Moses gave us the, the, the quail, right? But what's Jesus say? Moses really didn't give it to you. It was my father who gave it to, to you through Moses. I am the true bread of heaven the bread of life. Where Moses gave you manna, the people in the wilderness ate it and died. But I give you the bread, you eat it, you live. There was an incident in, uh, in the wilderness with Moses. God got pretty upset. Everyone was complaining they didn't have meat, right? So God gave them meat. And what happened immediately following that? God takes strong Sons, a lot of people died. Jesus is the bread of life. What happens there? God gives his only begotten son. He doesn't take. In this instance, he's giving his only son. Psalm 78, we're, we're running out of time here. Write down Psalm 78. It recaps. It's another psalm that, that recaps the story in the wilderness. Taste of the kingdom. In that moment, he's feeding the 5,000. They, they eat all that they want. There's absolute abundance there. They could have more than they could have asked for or even imagined in that moment. They ate until they were full. 
and the gluttons had even more. So, right. and, and there's still leftovers. Abundance, the kingdom, is a, is a kingdom of abundance without any waste. Without any waste. Jesus had them c- collect all of that and save it so there would be no waste. The last one, the storm. The storm. Here we have the disciples get in the boat. They're going across. They're going across, and they, they get halfway across, and this storm is just kicking them down. I mean, they're freaking out. They're being tossed about, and, um, and then Jesus comes. He comes walking on the water. You, we've gone through the story already, but to contrast it with Moses, remember Moses parts the sea, he parts the sea, and they walk on dry land. Jesus comes and he just walks on the water to get across the sea. Psalm 107 and Psalm 89. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I would have loved to have been there when the disciples like connected this. But Psalm 107, I'm just going to read. Some went, this is starting verse 23 of Psalm 107. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They, found, they mounted up to, the, to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm to be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Isn't that what Jesus did? He calms the storm, and they're right where they need to be. It's right where they wanted to be. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. O Lord, Psalm 89, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging sea when its waves rise. You still them. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world is in it. You have founded them. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. Believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. John 20 says, but these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So now what? How do we know, how do we now live in this belief? 
that by believing, how do we experience that life that he's promised us in his name? I always struggled with, uh, with that whole in his name bit. I didn't know what to do with that. What does that mean? And, um, and so I just kind of looked that up. And, and it basically, it comes down to when, when you do something in someone's name or an institution's name, you are, you are doing something, experiencing something in, under the reputation, within the reputation of that person or institution and with their authority. So how do we believe and live in the reputation and authority of Jesus? If we flip that, the thinking of John 20 around, so it goes from signs to belief to experiencing life, where is it in your life that you're not experiencing life? <laughs> Funny thing to say. Worry, anxiety, complaining. That's not life. What is it that I fail to believe in that moment? Where's my crisis of belief that God is who he says he is? What's that sign that he's already shown us and communicated to us that he's trustworthy, he's reliable, he's got this? so that we might have life in his name. Do we have fear of others? If we struggle with the fear of others, that takes life away. Do you believe God is glorious and weightier than those that you fear? If you're a chronic complainer, do you trust and believe that God is good? He's shown his goodness. Do we trust it? Do you feel like you have to prove yourself? God is gracious. He accepts you. Through Jesus' reputation, you are. You're approved already, right? People are gathering out there, and, and um, I think I've, wrapped, uh, I've run, out of, run, out of, run out of notes here. I hope this morning you've... Uh, You've experienced and connected with the glory of God that he's revealed in his word. I hope you've connected with Jesus in some way, somehow. This isn't my normal occupation here, right? <laughs> I appreciate you listening, and I pray that, that, that God's word came through to speak to you this morning. I'd like to end in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word that guides us into all truth, that reminds us and shows us who you are and what you've done. I thank you that your whole word is, is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training towards right living, righteousness we thank you that you sent Jesus full of grace and truth into this world we thank you that by your spirit that we experience that in our lives 
and pray for each one here. That we would continue to experience grace upon grace. As a result of your fullness, may we live, experience life with your reputation and in your authority. In Jesus' name, amen.